Hello, everybody. That was wonderful, Janet Lee. And I thank you so much for the dynamics that I feel when you play those old songs that I wrote a long time ago. So today, ladies and gentlemen, you're invited on a journey. On a journey through the needle's eye and into the thoughts and the mind of the invisible. There is a scripture that Jesus spoke. And Jesus said, and again. When he used both the conjunction word and, and the word again, to preface saying, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So, it's amazing. This was not something he said once. This was not something he said just twice. But it was something that he said many times, including the times that it was said in the Old Testament by his Holy Spirit. The journey through the needle's eye. Well, <clears throat> in the book of the book of Revelations, chapter 10, 2, and 8, it speaks about the seven thunders, and it's called information available in a little book. In the manifest, we say a book of little things. Isaiah 60, 22 has a way of putting it, a little one shall become a thousand. Something about this invisible force that has a finite aspect to it. But when you really grind down the truth to its total naked fact, you find that that littleness it's not weak. It's not nimble. But it is a tower and a bridge into the beyond. We do know that Job wrote and he said in Job 33, 4, The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of God has given me life. That might be confusing to some people because they think in terms of the spirit also being the breath. But there is a differentiation that is set in place here between spirit and breath. And not only that, there is a differentiation put in place as to the job. The spirit of God has formed or made me Let's use but is a different conjunction. The breath of God has given me life. There are things that can be made that have no spirit. The Bible says the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. This thing about the invisible is not minor mode. In Romans 1.20 it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world 
are clearly seen, being understood by the things made, even his power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse, ladies and gentlemen, to overlook, under-expect, or set aside, or put into some kind of futuristic, at the end of the world, understanding that then you will understand it better by and by. The basic form and power and mode of the scripture of Romans 1.20 says that we can clearly see the evidence of the invisible by understanding that in the things that are made, even to the point that you can understand his power and his Godhead. If that is not sensational, then I suppose there really isn't anything that is. And so there is no excuse, it says. In Colossians 1.15, it speaks about Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Of course, the Ophanims were the, were the first creations that became angels of the universe, of the first universe. And the head of that whole group of the Ophanims was Yaviel, who then came down to earth to save and salvage those Ophanims that the tail of the dragon drew and cast down to earth. Colossians verse 16 goes on to say even more. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, Dominions, principalities, or powers. First Timothy 1.17 says, The eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Hebrews 11.27, MIV says, By faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the Pharaoh king. For he endured as seeing him who was the image of the invisible. See, there are times... And the Bible is so clear about that, that in Colossians 1.15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible. Even though we look at him on the flesh, we understand what John was saying in the book of the Gospel of John, when he says that his, his flesh was made flesh, by an action of the Spirit. So the Word became flesh. The Word of the Spirit became flesh. And the Word, of course, we know is the line and is the seed and is the soundtron. And so there are times that you can look upon the flesh, on the physical. And if you look deep enough, if you look deep, like so deep that you are looking through the needle's eye, then you bypass what is the case reference with the majority of humans. You bypass looking through the glass darkly. And you start looking through the glass in a visionary of light. And before long, you begin to see through that visionary of light face to face 
with the ultimate reality. As you come face to face with that ultimate reality, things of the Spirit begin to pour into, into you like a spiritual wine. And you become drunken on truth. So inebriated with the glories of that truth that you are able to do things that you could never do before in your flesh. Well, there's a story about this needle's eye. And I want to take you into that story. And I want to really show you the beauty of the story of the needle's eye. That scripture that I quoted to you, and again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into, enter into the kingdom of, heaven, of God, is found in Matthew 19.24. But it is also in Mark 10.25 and in Luke 18.25 and also some ancient scriptures in the Old Testament. In Greek Strong's Dictionary, number 4476, the wording in there can perfectly be translated to mean perforation, aperture. There is both in the needle the aspect of perforation, the power of getting through to the other side of the flesh, the power of the aperture called the eye to see what has never been seen or understood before, to see the invisible God and read the invisible Bible, to embroider to soul to stitch, to make holy cloth that is actually a special kind of lattice with special kinds of color that symbolize the 30, 60, and 100-fold. These were the blue, the 30-fold, the purple, the 60-fold, and the scarlet, the 100-fold. Found in Exodus 26, 36, as hangings, hangings at the door of the tent. And further described in, in other references, Exodus 27, 16, and Exodus 28, 33. Those same colors used blue, purple, scarlet, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. In Exodus 38, 18, for hangings of the tabernacle. And Exodus 39, 9, for hangings at the gates before the court and on the garments. It's absolutely awesome and amazing the beauty of the scripture, the depth, the power, the ability to fabricate, to make lattice, and to develop personifications that are in image form, and to bring them forth to their original appreciated aspects of Deliverance and revelation. It is so important, this thing about the needlework of the invisible eye of the needle 
that it was possible for a camel to go through easier than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. There is so much glory. There is so much power that is available if we can only wake up and look. It's very wonderful. The invisible God, the invisible universe, all ties into this thing of the needle's eye and the invisible. The body without the spirit is dead, the Bible says. If the body without the spirit is dead, speaking of the human body, then that is an image of the Colossus body, the cosmos. So then it can be related in a further extension on the track path of the Soundtron understanding that the universe is a body, the cosmos is a body, and that without the spirit, it would be a dead cosmos, a dead universe. Those things are so important, so absolutely important. And that's not the end of this thing about this revelation. Exodus 27.4 speaks and says, Thou shalt make for the altar a grate of network of brass. This network of brass is nothing less than, the, than a symbolism of like what Jesus said when he talked about the net. He said the net was likened to the kingdom of God. You've got the lattice. This network of brass that was on the top of the altar where you would offer the sacrifices... And there were three main sacrifices, the bullock, the ram sheep, and the ram goat. The bullock was the hundredfold, the ram sheep was the sixtyfold, and the ram goat was the thirtyfold. Now the bullock is the meaning of the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, aleph, or aleph, which means first but which also means ox head and the number 1,000. And there's such a story there, and I've ministered on that to some extent. And then the 60-fold, the sheep ram, and the 30-fold, the goat ram. And these were being offered in a symbolism of the perpetuation on a network, a grate of brass, that was all mysteriously and beautifully causing a re-invoicing of the things that are images of things that are seen which are visible that have deep meanings of things not seen that are invisible. This idea of making the altar was also involved in the transformation. A turning loose of the flesh into ashes and a releasing of the spirit. The ashes fall through the grate, through the lattice, the network, and the spirit returns to God who made it. 
That doesn't mean the end of anything. It means a coming home of your spirit, of your mind, of your desires. A coming home with God. You can still be in the fleshly body and have surrendered the fleshly body. Haven't offered it. And the beauty of this is reminded as was shown to you in the mount. These things were revealed in the mount. And that's the beauty of it. And that's the glory of it. Now, back to the needle's eye. Some of the meanings, as I explained, Greek Strong's Dictionary, number 4476, can mean perforation and aperture. To embroider, to, to embroider, to sew, to stitch, to make a lattice, as I would describe that. And 5147 in the Greek Dictionary of Strong's. A path, a track path. And I put it this way, a track path of the soundtrons. Like in the scripture in Psalms 19, his line has gone out. There is a path. And there is no place and there is no language that it has not gone. And so this thing of the needle's eye is not small. It's not minor. In this story, I want to take you dynamically. I've said to you in the past about my teen teachings of Akava, which if you were really to pronounce that more correctly, it would be Akava. And suppose that we would say together that incredible word, almost like a magical. Someone said, oh, magic, that's bad. No, magi. They were the ones that came to see Jesus following the star. That's where the word magic comes from. So if we were to say in a magi type of way, call it magic if you want, we understand. Aka ah. Aka'a, Aka'a, three times. From your deep innermost part of the belly where the solar plexus is, where abides your spirit. Strong's 268 Dictionary. To stir in Psalms 268. This word, akava, meaning solution of the riddles. So we, we do that. We say, akava, akava, akava. And the solution of the riddles begins to, to come our way. And we come to awesome experiences, beautiful experiences, as we start to go through the aperture of the needle's eye. And there is more to say about the needle's eye 
and all that it really is and all that it really represents. For without a vision, the Bible says, the people perish. In Isaiah 60, we come floating through the needle's eye. We come. We come to the words written there so long, long ago. We come because it says that it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Camel, camel. And there, yes, in Isaiah 66, 60 verse 6, we see a multitude of camels. We see a prophecy. A multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephod, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together. The rams of Nep shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance of mine altar, the lattice altar of brass, of the thirty, the sixty, and the hundredfold. And I will glorify the house of my glory. Verse 8. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? Who are these? The horsemen, as Elijah put it. In the ziths, called the star of the east. Wow. And so we are moving through the needle's eye, through that aperture into the glories. And we are coming to more ancient scriptures, more ancient word of a story. In the great book of Psalms 72, verse 10, we read, the kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. This thing of Sheba keeps coming up. It came up in Isaiah 60. Now it has come up in Psalm 72. What does it mean? this thing of the Sheba. They shall offer gifts. Yea, all the kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Verse 14, He shall redeem their souls from deceit and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. This gold of Sheba. Tell me now, what is it? Okay, let's look. Akava, Akava, Akava. 
Ah, we go back in time, rolling, rolling, zooming. An ancient scripture begins to come up. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, the son of David, and the Bible says in Matthew 1 that Jesus is the son of David. Concerning the name of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means Yahweh or Yahweh-el. She came to prove him with hard questions. Wow. And she, it says, brought him gold. And the portion that it says in here of this royal bounty that was given to Solomon, who was symbolically being accounted for an event that would happen to Jesus Christ, was that Sheba brought 120 talents of gold. And then there was another 420 talents of gold that came from being fetched from Hiram and his navy and shipmen that had knowledge of the sea with the servants of Solomon. So we take the 420 of the Ophir gold and the 120 of the Sheba gold, and that comes to 540. And we subtract that from 666, and that leaves 126. Then horizontally, we take the 666, and that equals 18. Then we take the 540 horizontally, and that equals 9. And the 126, and add it horizontally, and that equals 9. And so you have the 666, which is 18, and the two nines, which is 18. And you have the square of 9, which is 3. And now we see the 3, which stands for the one-third. And we see in the 14th verse through the needle's eye that the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year, and this is this year of the Sheba gold, was 603 score and 6 talents of gold, 666. And the throne had six steps, and six lions on one side of the steps, and six lions on the other side of the steps. Horizontally, 666. All of the numbers are here in this mystery of the 666, which represented, that gold represented, 666 billion Ophanim angels that at first refused to take physical bodies for their fear of losing their memory of their angelship, leaving only a portion of those angels, which is approximately one-third, so that the total group of the three angels, the seraphims, the cherubims, and the ophanims, 
Each was one-third. But one-third, which was the Ophanims, were drawn by the tail of the dragon and cast to earth. And then only one-third of that third were willing to take bodies. And 666 at first were not. And that became the mark of the beast. All being seen through the eye, the eye of the camel. For in each of these instances of these ancient scriptures I've read, the camel is dominant. It is a factor. If we go back in time to Genesis chapter 24, there's an interesting story. We go and we see Abraham talking to his servant, his master servant, and saying to him, I want to send you to my father's house in Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And I want you to find a wife for my Isaac. And the servant said, but wonder if I find someone, but they don't want to come. They don't want to come back with me. Abraham said, do not fear. If such a thing as that happens, you will not be held to blame. But you will not have to be afraid because the angel of the Lord will go before you. Now you will take camels with you. Ten camels loaded with gifts. So the servant takes off on his journey with his ten camels. And he has been given this whole message that is to be used to be able to decide if this lady, if this beautiful virgin is the one that is chosen. For he is told he is to make his camels kneel down without the city by the well of water. Yes, the camels through the needle's eye easier than a rich man making it to the kingdom of God. The camels kneel down without the city. And in Isaiah 60, it says that the power of those camels genetically represented a multitude of dromedaries and cattle and camels. And he got there to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And his camels knelt down without the city by the well of water at the time of the evening. And it wasn't long before a young virgin came to, the wa to get water from the well. And he, the servant, the master servant of Abraham said, as was the test, give me, I pray, a little water to drink. And she said, both drink thou, and I will also draw water for thy ten camels. If you have any idea how much water that camels can hold in their hump and how much they can drink and how much ten of them could drink, that would not be something 
that a person would readily offer without it being a destiny thing. And so that virgin whose name was Rebecca was chosen and she willingly wanted to come back. And her family, before she left, blessed her and said, Be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And she went off to meet her Isaac. All of this happening by the story of the camels who went through the needle's eye. But that was not the end of it. For then there were three wise men that came. And they brought those gifts. They were fulfilling those scriptures of Isaiah 60 and Psalm 72. And as Jesus said, and again, I tell you of the camels that will go through the needle's eye. And again. And they came following that star. Because they sought to know the invisible God. Calling those things that were not as though they were. Believing in the impossible. Jesus grew up. And it was not long. That there was prepared a way for him. In the wilderness of Judea, as we look through the needle's eye, we see a prophet called John who is preaching in the wilderness and saying he was destined, a destined voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That same John wore raiment of camel's hair. He was dressed in camel's clothing, with a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Oh, what a camel story. What an incredible journey. What an incredible eye into an adventure that has spanned a great, great journey and a great, great track of the Soundtrons. My wife will be playing an interlude.
Thank you again, Janet Lee. Wow. You don't miss a stroke. God bless you so much. So, back to James 2.26. The body without the spirit is dead. Therefore, the body of the cosmos without the spirit is also dead. That was in James 2.26. That's very important, ladies and gentlemen. When we try to get scientific theories and hypotheses and various constants that are supposed to be actualities of law, we must understand that based on having only 9.4% information from the known universe, which is, which is missing the, the 90.4 vast amount of information of the known, unknown universe, that without having the whole aspect of the unknown universe, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to really know for sure what you're doing when you're trying to figure constants and hypotheses. We don't mean to say by any means that everything that scientists and, and astronomers are gauging are incorrect, but their mathematical consequences do not fulfill the total summary Sort of like the giant Greek mathematical letter of summation. They just don't fulfill the total sum summation. And so it's, an, it's important when we read scriptures in Malachi 2.15 that speaks of the residue of the, of the spirit. And it's sort of a sorry case when some translators and other books other than the King James translate the word residue to excellency. There's one other time that that happened in the book of Proverbs where they used the word excellency instead of saying what the actual case of the scripture was that was spoken. And it totally missed, uh, caused a person to miss the, the revelation. Well, this residue of the spirit, check it out. Hebrews 76.05, Strong's Concordance. Continued. 7604, 7607, and 7606. Each one a continuum by root connection to the other. How can there be such a thing as a residue of the Spirit? Well, the Bible says in John 1.14 that the Word was made flesh. Now, no matter how you want to get around it, You know, there were holy cows, but they were still cows, and they were flesh. And you can have holy human flesh, but it is still flesh. And the Bible says, ultimately, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so, at some point, as holy as that flesh of the body of Christ is, it must dissipate as residue of the Spirit, because it was part of the Word made flesh, of the Spirit made flesh. And that's an important revelation, because then we begin to realize that in this universe today, there are things that can be called residue. When people are talking about things like 
dark matter. We wonder just how much the word residue of the spirit might apply to that. This thing of spirit has a problem with the scientist because truthfully it is confusing when you read it in the Bible and when you are not able to peer through the glass other than it being darkly and when you are not able to see through the needle's eye and when you are not able to see the invis- see and read the invisible Bible then you're not able to differentiate all the different applications of the word spirit all the different meanings you have to get down to honing in like Hebrews 4:2 speaks about the word of God is quick and powerful even to the dividing of the soul and spirit so there is a dividing that has to be done and the bible says rightly dividing the word of god <clears throat> those things are so very important so absolutely necessary and they're not accidental believe me they have meanings very very important as we begin to look at this remnant of the body and we begin to look at the of this we understand there are remnants of the body in space the manifest has names for all of that it describes how that there was a remnant of the first universe that was left over and into deep compaction and then the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh all had remnants and there was a particular kind of if you want to call it radiation you can it's not exactly the right word but that was left over from all the universe into each new following universe and that is so important how that the first universe has a presence in the second the third the fourth the fifth the sixth and the seventh and the eighth universe which is the universe we are in today oh yes there's bible for all of that but that's not the message i'm preaching on now and if you want to find it out get into my broadcast into my messages on the blogs you'll find it the word of god is quick the quickening aspect but you know the spirit there's so many different meanings of it so many different applications so many different kinds of spirit there's the holy spirit and there's evil spirits <clears throat> there's familiar spirits and the spirit the hebrew word ruach from uh, the strong's concordance of 7307 and from 7306 can mean wind breath life regions of the sky rational being mind also 178 mind spirit wind familiar spirit 5397 intellect inspiration soul spirit 7305 from 7304 from 7306 an interval an enlargement of space to make a large expanse the power of quickening and in the greek numa 
from 4154 of the Greek, to breathe hard, to breathe, to blow. And we read you that scripture where there was a differentiation between the spirit and the breath. It can even mean in 4151 and 5326 of the Greek, a rational soul, a vital principle, a mental disposition, a superhuman, an angel, a daemon, or divine God, a Christ spirit, the Holy Spirit, ghost life, and life, and spiritual, and spirit, and, and mind again. So there's all these different kinds of application of, of mind, um, uh, uh, pardon me, of spirit, being the different kinds of minds, the different kinds of applications, even like in 4153 of the Greek being spirituality. When we look at Job 26.13, it says, By his spirit he has garnished means to have it cause it to glisten. And you can find that in the Hebrew, 82.31. The heavens. His hand has formed the crooked serpent. The, his hand represents the angels, the Elohim, that was bidding the work that he commissioned them to do in the creation. And the serpent, as it describes here, is actually a constellation. So when we go out there and we start coming up with all these different things for what is causing the creation and we leave out the spirit and there's dark energy and dark mass amounting to, you know, 90.4% of the unknown universe, what are we really doing? You know, all the algebra you want in the world won't bring you an answer. You can do all the X's you want. And you're not going to be able to find an answer. Not that way. And that's, that's just a plain fact. So, we want you to understand this in the most important way. Because if you don't understand it that way, you're going to understand it in an incorrect way. And there's a whole bunch of the world out there understanding things incorrectly. And it's important that God's people overcome that kind of thing. Because that is not going to bring you into the truth. And the truth is what is going to set you free. And without the truth, you're just not going to be free. All right, now let's go on here. So, we've got... Some interesting things. Ecclesiastes 3.21 says, who, kn who knoweth the spirit of man that goes upward and the spirit of the beast that goes downward? Who gives a hang? Who cares? There's just an awful lot of people out there that are doing hypotheses. There's just an awful lot of people out there, both in the professional world and the non-professional world, that are doing speculation and that are interpreting the scriptures to their own fantasies and their own imaginations and their own ideologies. But they're not connected to the actual meaning of the scripture. And so the scripture challenges and says, who knows 
the spirit of man that goes upward and the spirit of the beast that goes downward? What is the reason for the differentiation of these two kinds of spirit? Spirit of the animals is one kind of a spirit totally, absolutely different from the spirit of those who have souls that go upward. Totally, absolutely different. The spirit of beast is temporal and it does not have the quickening power. But this other spirit that, that causes man to go upward has the quickening power. And so you can't compare those two kinds of spirit as being the same spirit. And if you do that, then you're going to get it all wrong. And there's a lot of people out there getting it all wrong. There's a difference between the spirit that goes upward and the spirit that goes downward. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, The dust returns to the earth. The spirit returns to God who gave it. It's always going to go upward. Always. It, 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 it has an eternal aspect to it. Now, in Zechariah 12.1, I've shared many of these scriptures with you before, but we're putting them all into a special body of presentation. Zechariah 12.1 talks about God who forms the spirit of man within him. The spirit that you receive is formed in you in your, in your, as the Bible calls it, inner belly, deep within, in the solar plexus. And that spirit that is within you has a mind as well as your body has a brain. And that spirit that is in you is not understood by most of the people that live on this planet. And especially many of the professional people that are trying to find answers in mathematics and, and uh, technological aspects of science. We do not put these men down. Some of these men are great people. We applaud them for what they are trying to do. But I'm going to tell you that when someone comes up with the, I don't care how great a scientist they were with all their facts and figures that they think is so absolutely acknowledging of, uh, of, of something superpendous, when they come up with some kind of an answer that is atheistic and there is no God, and creation doesn't depend on God, and has nothing to do with God, then you know how in vain and void and desperate that the spirit of that person is to come up with such a, a, a dry and void conclusion. Well, the, the spirit of man is formed within you. You have a spirit. And this is another aspect of the spirit. The aspect of the spirit which can be transferred, like when Moses transferred his spirit to the 70 elders. Like when Elijah transferred his spirit to Elisha. Like when the spirit of Elijah and Moses were transferred on the Mount of Transfiguration to Jesus. And so, this is a powerful and true thing. So Ezekiel 10, 17 says, the spirit of the living creature is in the wheel. It's in the wheel. It's part of the ship. And we've been preaching that. Ezekiel 1, 12 says, and where the spirit was to go, they went. 
the spirit of the energy that is in the ship is actually leading these entities with spirits that are within the wheel of the wheel. And that's repeated again in Ezekiel 3, 12 and 14. Now how important is all this business? Well, let's look at John 3, 5, the Gospel of John 3, 5. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. See, when you are, when you are so rich, numerically speaking, that the greater number that you have of your riches, of your ideas, of your personal wants, of your carnality, and that num number is, is a, a multiplicity, the higher that number is, you might look at it and feel like, wow, am I ever a trillionaire. But see, the higher the number that you get in the physical carnal realm means the further you are from God. So the question is, what is the distance to zero? The greater your number, the greater your magnitude in the phys physical aspect makes your distance from zero, the great zero of God. A far, far journey. And not a great chance for you getting there unless you have an operation that cuts off from you all of that extra slobber that you've got that you think is something that is a glory. Jesus said, you can't make it. You can't enter into the kingdom of God except that a man be born of, of water. What, what kind of birth is that? Well, that's the natural birth. That's being born with a mother in, in the water bag. You've got to have a physical birth. That is the requirement. The angels that fell had to take bodies, had to have a physical birth. No getting around it. They have to be born of the water and of the spirit. And it's called rebirth. Born again. And he cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless that happens. Now verse 6 of John 3, 5 and then 6 says, And that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Don't get confused. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Verse 34 says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives not the Spirit by measure unto him. So there is actually a measure of the Spirit. And these different measures of the Spirit, of this energy, actually give different names and titles to the energy being, being spirits that are differentiated from each other. And, 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 and Paul says that you can see the physical things and the answers to, the, to, to even the Godhead and the, and the energy and the spiritual things by looking at the physical things. We know that different levels of the same kind of energy can actually have meanings with different names and titles because that particular aspect of quantity causes there to be a differentiation of the energy. And the same, that is a, a physical example of a spiritual thing, of the meaning of spirit. 
So that all spirit is absolutely not the same because there are different measurements of it, different levels of it. And that's why we have explained in the past that when people have the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says, you know, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But some people only, you know, they have a really small vessel. So if they are filled, it's not a fullness of the Spirit. It's only filled to the limit of their capability. And so we said, when you get the Holy Ghost, that is the full the experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit. You are full of the Holy Spirit, and then you can go into translations, you can go into you know, personifications. And so when we start to talk about phototransitions and phototranslations, you know, we're talking about Holy Ghost power. Then there are different types of Holy Ghost. You know, there's the Holy Ghost of Jesus. And someone say, okay, well, that's the only Holy Ghost, isn't there? No. I have a Holy Ghost. You have a Holy Ghost. At least I hope it's holy. And then there's the Holy Ghost of Jesus. We find out that even though we have a Holy Ghost, our Holy Ghost is not of the same measure that the Holy Ghost that Jesus has, who has no limit of measure. Our Holy Ghost is limited and has more to do with prefacing our human mortal life. That was not the case with Jesus. He had already a contact through the aperture of the needle's eye to the other side. And so our Holy Spirit has to be overshadowed with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. God doesn't want us to not have a Holy Spirit. We all have spirits. We don't just have a, the Holy Ghost Spirit. We have our own spirit. And that can either be a, a holy or it could be evil. So we have our own Holy Spirit or evil spirit. But then there's the Holy Spirit of Jesus, which is all the way, not measured, called Holy Ghost. Wow. John 6, 63 says, It is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. So we've, we, we, we get this through the New Testament so many times. You know, the word is the seed. The word is the spirit. So when we're talking about the seed of life for the universe, we are talking about the word. And we are also talking about a meaning of that word being called the line. And not only being called the line, as in the 19th chapter of, of, of the book of Psalms, but in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, being transliterated into the sound, which we call the soundtron. So this soundtron has gone throughout the entire universe. There is no place it is not gone. It's not into anything called the unknown uh, dark energy or the unknown black energy. Uh, uh, in an ignorant way that it doesn't know what it is. Like the scientific world is today. We don't know what that is. We think it might be this or it might be that, hypothetically perhaps. But in the Word of God, it's not a maybe. It's a factuality. And we, it knows what it is. It knows what it is. And it knows that the Soundtron is there in it. 
And we will take that even further as we, as we go on here. So just hang and hold. Now Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they're, they're spirit and they're life. It's hard for us to equate that words can actually be like steam coming off of water. So that although they look so totally different than the water, in fact, that evaporation then, when it distills, turns back into the water. So that these words, when they distill, they turn back into spirit because they are spirit and they are life. And Paul tries to explain it in chapter 2, verse 10. I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. It hasn't even entered into people's minds what the deep real truth is. Hasn't even entered there. Because the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches out all things. Someone says, I don't know if I want to get into all these things. You know, this is so far out and this is so complicated. Uh-huh. Well, then what you, might, you might as well try your best to leave your, have your spirit leave your body. Because if you don't think that your body is a complicated thing, then you don't understand the word complication with all the millions and trillions of cells that it has, with all the atoms and molecules, the complications of the mind, the complications of the heart, the complications of the whole genetic system of the body, you're, you're, you are one complicated mess, believe it or not. And only does it have beauty when you see it in the light of God. Because eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared. But God has revealed it by his Spirit. And why? For the Spirit searches all things. If you're not into a, a, a moving dynamic revelation that is ever going forward. If you're into one of these, these concrete barricades where it says, yep, there are no more prophets. Now the last prophets all died. There's no more healing. That healing was just during the time of Jesus to show us what he could do if he wanted to. If you're into those kind of ruts, you've got your foot in a grave and don't even know it. And the best thing that you could do for yourself and your family is jerk that foot out of that, that grave of death before it turns into rotten dust. Better would you be to listen to this Word of God that's being revealed over the Internet. Because the Word of God, it, it, when it comes over the Internet, it can heal. When I do Gentile, I do it most of the time over the telephone. I'm, we have moved beyond laying on the hands. Laying on the hand is positional and dispositional. It forces you to be in a local lo location. But as you move on to the spirit world, you go spirit to spirit because you are now moving in multi-spiritual sequences. The spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man save the spirit? There is no man out there, according to the Bible, that knows the things of man. Everything that pertains to you biologically, everything that pertains to you physiologically, 
emotionally, mentally, prophetically, is only known by the spirit of man which is in man. Verse 12 says, We have not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit of God. I quoted to you earlier, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. There's been enough killing going on. There's still killing going on all over the world. But there's a lot of re religiosity out there in which people feel that they are doing the legal letter of the law of their religious uh, teachings to go out and kill anybody that won't believe like them. And that letter of the law kills, but it does not belong to the spirit that gives life. Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's not a simple Simon. When you get etched into your brain things that you have religiously been taught since a child, it is not easy to have a regeneration of washing of your mind. But if you make yourself susceptible to the Holy Spirit, God will come and wash your mind and renew the spirit of your mind. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will, will bring all things to your remembrance so that even though you live in the land of the lost memories, you will be able to overcome that. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged uh, sword piercing even to, and we read this earlier, the dividing the center of the soul and spirit. When you can't get into the rightly dividing of the Word of God, you can't possibly understand the differentiation of the soul and the spirit. And that there are two meanings of soul. There's the physical meaning of the soul being the body. And there's the spiritual meaning of soul being the birthright, which is your birthright that you have that belongs to you and that is still in the first domain and never leaves the first domain. So the Bible says in Corinthians that when this body is evaporated, when it is dematerialized, we have a body not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Psalms 104.30 Thou sendest forth thy spirit, and they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, and they are created. They renewest the face of the earth. That, that's what the creation is about. And if you don't have that answer, all the atoms, all the fancy mathematical terms won't give you the truth. Psalms 139.7 Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Now listen to this as it compares to Psalms 19 and Romans 10. Listen to this as you think about the line, the sound that goes throughout all the universe. There is no place, Psalms 19, Romans 10, that this, this word, this line, this sound has not gone. There is no place that this voice, this message has not been heard. No place in the entire universe. Get that? Hear that. Get that. Hear that. Get that. There is no place. Akava, solution of riddle. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? That was 139.7 of Psalms. 139.8 says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. 
If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Do you have it? Do you get it? No matter where you go, whether you talk in heaven or hell, this line of God, this sound of God, this energy presence of God, this spirit revelation, it's going to be there. There is no place in the universe. I mean, the lake of fire is the tumbling in and the closing in and the compression of the universe. And he is there. He's in everything. Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. The spirit of man. You've got it. Man here stands for both female and male. And that's how it's done in the King James. Man representing mankind. Now, we talked the last week or two about Ezekiel 118, about where it talks about their rings were so high. And the rings were full of eyes. And we asked a question on Twitter. Could these rings represent antimatter? Well, a kind of antimatter. An interval separated by a neutral force to allow it to remain in tangent space without being destructive. Their rings were so high. We think sometimes of that just in terms of of feet or miles. But Heim can be something totally different. High can actually be finite of size. That something that is finite has a higher energy and a higher dynamic than something that is expansive and large. And the rings are full of eyes. You there, you can see the dynamics of it and the knowledge of it and the beauty of it. Yes, Ezekiel 118. It is a kind of antimatter interval separated by a neutral force to allow it to remain in tangent space without being destructive to that, that space or anything else in it. And when you get into the Hebrew... Dictionary meanings like Hebrew 13.54, Gaba, to be hollow, back body, 13.55, arch of an eye or curve. You really are getting into an utter transcendental of pi, which has to do about the ratio of the cross section of pi to the perimeter of pi and its ratios. We talked about knowing all the unknowing beyond, is beyond using roads and bridges. The first domain is a world dimension of one, original, infinite, non-physical energy called spirit. Pi, that's a mathematical term. It's a constant which represents the ratio of any circle's circumference to its diameter. 
spelled P-I. The number that they presently come up with, which is a, which is a average representation, is 3.14159. And there's a lot to be said about that. Pi is an irrational number. cannot be expressed as a fraction. You can't make a fraction out of it. It is a transcendental number. Transcendental, because it represents a circle. Which means, now get this, and I've read this to you before, which means that no finite sequence of algebraic operations or of integers, powers, roots, sums, etc., could ever produce it. You could never, uh, with any kind of mathematics or scientific technological or rhythmic mathematical expressions, ever be able to to produce the real transcendental number that it represents. And so that makes it so interesting when we think in terms of dark matter, which is invisible. And it's matter that does not interact with electromagnetic force. Well, we're going to get into some things about velocity vectors at hyperbolic trajectory. I don't want to throw you into a can of confusion. But vectors can be used to represent positions and directions. And they can connect to tangent spaces. The seed is the word of God, but it's just in a, if it's just in a power, a, pardon me, if it's just in a pile and doesn't go anyplace, then, you know, it's without trajectory. The seed of God has trajectory. The seed is the word of God going out into all the universe. It's the line going out. There is no place. It's going out. It's the Soundtron line. It's the, the beauty of the absolute pure seed of God. Not, not seeds, but seed, manifold one. It'll be a while. And so Psalms 19, there is no speed or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Romans 10.8, their sound went into all the earth and their words into the ends of the world. Soundtron, seed, zero. Wow. Wow. The word made flesh. You sent forth your spirit. They are created. You renewed the face of the earth. Psalms 104.30. Dark energy. Dark matter. Isaiah 40, 21 through 22. Second Samuel 22, 12. Psalms 18, 9. Wow. It is so beautiful. There are these entanglements different than what many scientists think. Quantum consciousness, a micro-world, with new concepts of matter and spirit. There are new concepts of matter and spirit. Degrees of mental states of both physical and spiritual collective consciousness modulating 
in quantum jumps, an invisible system network which compass covers the everywhere, including the everywhere the physical cannot cover. In the physical world you have, as I said last week, I believe it was, a nervous system that works by operations and means of synaptic, uh, synaptic uh, messages. It can even reach a point of superconductivity where each atom wave grows until its wave overlaps the other atom's wave. These atoms overlapped of each other atom, uh, atom's waves eventually merge. After they merge, they occupy the same region in space, they travel the same speed, they vibrate at the same frequency, they become indistinguishable of each other. Yeah, I read that before, but you don't want to forget that kind, those kind of things. They're very important. They're very important. And then they behave, these waves as a whole, becoming becoming a, into a coming into a merge in such a way they lose their individuality. And that's what we ha has happens to us with Jesus. How we lose our individuality in a sense when we are operating through his word, speaking his word. That doesn't mean we lose it in a total sense that we never have it again. We always will have a flavor. But he is our breastplate. He is the cunning work of the revelations of God. Exodus 24, 16 says, And the cloud of glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai six days, and in the seventh day he called Moses into the cloud. We're coming in this manifest teachings and ministry to a seventh day where God's people are being called into the cloud. Like this Exodus 28 we talked about of the blue, purple, and scarlet, the thirtyfold, the sixtyfold, the hundredfold. We're coming. We know that mathematically the, the existence of space has a numerable or a numerical signature. It's called a transcendental number, the infinite pi. And we have, as we've taught in our teachings, a law of privilege to know these things. Now, in my closing, a um, little bit yet to go, I want to mention again this manifest Yana's the distance to zero, this formula that I gave you, SEE times DV2 superscript times LT, or you could write it SEE dot, which is times DV superscript 2 dot LT. Spirit energy and all of its meanings. Well, what are these? SEE, spirit energy effect. DV, superscript, domatron velocity. LT, latolution transitions equal the universe. We're not talking the same speed anymore. In this particular revelation, which is a visionary mathematics, a method of thinking of unknown constants, 
When we speak of the DV2, we are talking about hyperbolic square of four vectors. The vector one of trit, two the vector of distance, three the vector of time and location, and four the vector of momentum. And that is all part of the SCE dot DV2 dot XLT. And so that leaves us thrones. That leaves us the Maccaba. That leaves us the initiates. That leaves us with the spirit that cannot be measured, with the house of breath, with the house of Merkabah, with the place of the holy chariots, chariots of fire, the divine chariot, and to him that rideth the heaven of heavens that were of old. The throne of glory, Ezekiel 1, 4, 26, the pilot hold, the Zith, the heavenly charioteer, the Merkabah, the white horse rider, the seven colors of the rainbow circle, Psalms 18, 5, Isaiah 19, 1, Hebrews 3, 8, Exodus 24, 10 through 12, the Shema, the Echad, the plural one. And so, I want to make this announcement before we close. I have one more teaching that I'm going to do, which will be next Sunday, on the finishing of this trajectory that we have been on about the whisper of Satan and all that it has encompassed with all these many different revelations. And that will be sort of my, my summary of these teachings. And then we will be reiterating that whole series from the first and playing it. And I'm going to take a break from the live radio broadcasting because, ladies and gentlemen, I am now being bequestered for a contract that we have put together for doing this film that we plan to put on international television. And it is going to be a lot of work and a lot that has to be done. But stand by and be joyful, for I tell you that is is very, very close now. Very close for when we will be publishing Star Rise. And it is a marvelous book. We could have published it earlier, but God spoke to me and said it is not ready. It is not done. And I had to go back through it. And God revealed through the needle's eye, so to speak, all kinds of addendums that needed to be put in. What a masterful book it is. The ark is coming up the road. God bless you, dear friends and people that have backed us in prayer and stood by us. Janet Lee at the organ. God bless you.